Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. So glad you're with us. We've made it once again to the Friday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Good, bad, and crazy martinis for conservatives to wrap up a very busy news week. And Jim, for our good martini today, we uh, look at your colleague John McCormick and his reporting on Arizona Senator Mark Kelly. Kelly, of course, was elected last year, and he is up again in 2022, which may be one of the reasons that we're getting this position from Mark Kelly. But uh, McCormick uh, tracked down Kelly in the hallways of the Capitol on Tuesday and asked if he supported the legislation to expand the Supreme Court to 13 seats. He said, I generally don't think it's a great idea, but I haven't seen the legislation. And McCormick said, yeah, basically he wants to bump it up from nine to 13. There's not a lot to it. And he's like, "Eh, I don't think so. But then uh, on Wednesday afternoon, Senator Kelly spokesman Jacob Peters contacted McCormick saying that Kelly's comments amounted to a firm commitment to always oppose court packing, asked if Kelly would vote against increasing the number of Supreme Court justices under any circumstances, even if Roe v. Wade were overturned. The senator's spokesman said yes. So, Jim, we've been pleasantly surprised by Kirsten Cinema, And, I mean, look, this is a, a state on the razor's edge as to which party uh, is, is going to win statewide elections. So, Kelly, I think, is, is at least partly understanding that he might need to take this position to win next year. I mean, this is a very radical position. So, being against it uh, isn't exactly the, the greatest profile in courage. But it's another bucket of cold water on the issue. And uh, hopefully this means that this issue, whether it's on the commission that Biden created or in the halls of Congress, is dead on arrival. Yeah, I really like to think this is Kirsten Cinema rubbing off on him. Because <laughs> um, on paper, you know, they both represent Arizona. And it's not, you know, yes, Biden won Arizona last uh, year. He won it by the skin of his teeth. Um, even if it's not as red as it used to be, and, and much to the frustration of Republicans, I think... Governor Ducey out there is the only statewide Republican remaining. I got to double check that, but at least certainly is one of the, you know, the only one um, of, of high profile losing both Senate races is pretty darn frustrating, but it's not California. It's not uh, New York state. It hasn't gone deep blue. And if you're a Democrat representing Arizona, you, you know, got to keep an eye on how public opinion is going and recognize you don't. You may represent a state that is trending blue, but you don't represent a progressive or liberal state yet. So maybe you know Kelly can turn into another cinema or another mansion, another Democratic senator who Democrats cannot count on um, for everything that comes down the pike. And I think we've seen since the Senate elections in Georgia, there was this euphoria that rushed through progressives that they finally had complete control of the government that they hadn't had since 2010. And this was their chance. And that, you know, it had been stolen from them when Donald Trump had the audacity to win the election in 2016 and the history had gone awry and we were off course. And, and you know, now finally it was the restoration of all democratic power, the way it was supposed to be this, this great excitement. Except they had pretty narrow, you know, majorities a 50, 50 Senate where you need Kamala Harris to be in town to, to, um, Uh, to break the tie. You've only got a couple of of seats in the House, and we've had a whole bunch of vacancies there lately uh, on both the Republican and the Democratic side. So, yeah, and then you've obviously got a president who is a Democrat and tends to be where the center of his party is, not where the center of American politics is, um, who wants to make his party happy, but who also, whose first instincts, I think, are not the same as a Bernie Sanders or uh, an AOC or anybody like that. So I think we're going to have this roller coaster for the remainder of, of this until the midterms come along. 
And I think there's going to be this sense of Democrats coming up with any old crazy, particularly the progressive Democrats, like we can do this, we can do the Green New Deal, we can do DC statehood, we can, you know, like, yes, we can do this, and then hitting some wall. And that wall could be Joe Manchin, that wall could be Kirsten Cinema, that wall could be Kelly in this case. I'd like to see, say, a Mark Warner. A Tim Kaine, guys who keep telling us that they're moderate and sensible and centrist and won't go along with every idea that the progressive left has. And I probably shouldn't you know, hold my breath, but I, I went back and I checked. We also probably shouldn't count on these Democrats to really be slam the brakes, even as we get closer to the 2022 midterms. And I went back and I checked because I was trying to think about whether my, my memory was that the Democrats, that, that you know, we might have some useful indicator in the gubernatorial elections this year in New Jersey and in uh, Virginia. Neither one of them looking great for Republicans right now, but it's still pretty early. I went back and I checked the 2009 Virginia gubernatorial elections where Cree Deeds got beaten by, got beat by Bob McDonald, like a narc at a biker rally to quote uh, Dennis Miller. Um, that was on November 3rd. The Affordable Care Act passed the House on November 7th, 220 to 215 party line vote. So even though Democrats had this evidence in Chris Christie's win up in New Jersey and Bob McDonald's big win in Virginia, um, that gee, you know, maybe uh, maybe this, you know, maybe the Obama administration has gone too far to the left. Maybe the Republican base is energized. Maybe there is uh, some, some, you know, trepidation in the part of centrists and, and democratic base isn't as enthusiastic as they were. They've elected Obama and, they're ready to kind of go back to sleep for a couple of years and not really paying attention. It did not change the minds of House Democrats, or at least not enough of them. Most of them voted for Obamacare. Uh, most of them did not slam the brakes on this. So I don't think you know, if the you know gubernatorial elections this year go well for the Republicans, which does not seem like a safe bet right now, I would not expect that to be uh, great news for, you know, that, 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 that wouldn't necessarily stop them. On the other hand, I think that the Mark Kellys of the world and the cinemas and the mansions realize this is a much further left agenda, even than the Democrats had in 2009, 2010, uh, and that you don't have nearly as many red state Democrats. And they saw the old red state Democrats basically got wiped out in 2010. And then those who survived that year then got wiped out in 2014. There really was just this grand culling of Democratic centrists. So if you are a Democratic centrist, if you're a Spanberger in Virginia, um, you probably should be nervous about this. You really you know, can't guarantee that there's going to be a good turnout in the next midterm election. And if you're enacting a wild, crazy, kooky Democratic agenda, it's going to catch up to you probably. No, that's exactly right. And like we talked about yesterday, can we find a handful of Democrats to actually try to keep the sanctions on Iran? I mean, they're so monolithic, so lockstep. Uh, and, you know, it just means that there, like you said, there aren't a lot of moderates left. Uh, D.C. statehood passed the House uh, yesterday. Uh, so that sort of thing. So there's really no divergence from this radical left agenda. So the fact that uh, Kelly seems to be fairly solid on court packing, I mean, this shouldn't be a profile in courage given just we'll how... take our wins where we can get them <laughs> i mean this is this is like should we build statues of lenin everywhere no wow good for him maybe he's worth that second look anyway all right on to our first oh before i get to that you know it's been a real disappointment jim you mentioned the gubernatorial races there was a christopher newport poll out which is one of the ones that people follow in virginia for statewide races terry mccallus the only democrat in the governor's race in double digits and he's at 47 percent, i think so this is gonna be a huge walkover uh justin fairfax i was expecting this to be a really fierce fight 
But I guess uh, even on the Democratic side, when you have two credible rape accusers, your statewide campaign may not go that well the next time. I have not really been paying a ton of attention to the gubernatorial race this year. Shame on me. But, you know, we do have this this pandemic thing going on and a lot of other things going on in the news. I kind of wonder if like at some point, if you're a aspiring Democratic governor or, or a Republican governor, for that matter, um, that the spring after a presidential election cycle is a really tough time to get people to tune in, particularly after this one, because we had the you know argument about uh, Trump disputing the election results and all the lawsuits and then January 6th. You know, it's just not a slow period. So if you are not a well-known candidate for governor, this is not an easy news environment to generate some news and get some attention. So I kind of wonder if like when a pollster calls people, you know, people who have not really spent a lot of time thinking about it, probably haven't seen the candidates, probably haven't read much about the candidates here. They, oh, Terry McAuliffe, I recognize that. And yeah, he was okay. You know, he, he, he didn't get indicted. So, you know, that's a win by him. <laughs> Well, he's also probably considered the moderate on the Democratic side, kind of like Biden was in the uh, presidential primary. And we see how that's been turning out so far. I mean, you and I would say that uh, McAuliffe doesn't have any convictions, but, you know, that I mean, acquittals count. <laughs> he doesn't have any convictions. That's you can mean that in a couple of different ways with Terry McAuliffe. But uh, anyway. All right. Well, let's talk about something happy. And that's good oral health. We know that you need to brush. You know that you need to floss. Did you know that chewing gum can help, though? Yeah, gum actually uh, is, is pretty important to your oral health, at least if it's sugar-free gum. The American Dental Association recommends chewing that sugar-free gum for 20 minutes after meals. And now, Quip, which gives you the great toothbrushes, the great uh, floss, has the good gum for you, too. It was only a few short years ago that Quip reinvented the toothbrush for the modern age. Now they've done it again, this time for chewing gum. They have launched a new gum that's actually good for your oral health and comes in a dispenser that will remind you of the one-click candy you loved as a kid. I think they're talking about Pez dispensers like that. Now, it's not a substitute for brushing and flossing, but this is a great support for your oral health. Pair it with a Quip electric toothbrush for kids or adults, refillable floss, and more great products. Now, in addition to the gum packs, Quip also delivers fresh brush head, floss, and toothpaste refills every three months for just $5. Shipping is free, so you can save money and skip the misery of in-store shopping. Yeah, this is fantastic stuff. I'm holding the little dispenser right now. I don't know if you could hear that, but that's it. Uh, and I will be uh, popping uh, a piece of this gum in after we finish the podcast here today. Fantastic uh, ways to uh, keep your oil health as strong as possible. Get into those good habits. So if you go to getquip.com slash martini right now, you get that free plastic dispenser with any refill plan. That's a free dispenser at getquip.com slash martini, spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash martini. You can also find the Quip electric toothbrush, refillable floss, and more on the oral care aisle at your local Walmart. Quip, remember, as we just said, is the good habits company. All right, Jim, we're just talking about Virginia politics. And I would argue this is a Virginia politics story, although it's officially an education story. And since we live in Virginia, this one hits pretty close to home in a frustrating way. Fox News on the story, the Virginia Department of Education is moving to eliminate all accelerated math options prior to 11th grade, effectively keeping higher achieving students from advancing as they usually would in the school system. As currently planned, this initiative will eliminate all math acceleration prior to 11th grade, not an exaggeration. This will take foundational concepts in 6th grade, everyone, 
Same thing in seventh grade. Uh, everybody's in the same class. They claim they can tweak it within the class to, to meet different students' aptitude and so forth. But uh, they're essentially saying, you know, look, algebra, geometry, algebra two, not going to happen. It's only when you get to 11th grade that uh, accelerated students will actually get accelerated classes. And so, Jim, welcome to the world of equity, where everybody advances as quickly as the least achieving student. Can't imagine how this will go wrong in the short or long term. You know, Greg, I, I've read my Kurt Vonnegut, and I'm fairly certain that in Harrison Berger, and we're not supposed to reach total equality until 2081, not 2021, <laughs> in which everyone will not only be equal before God and the law, they'll be equal every which way. No one will be smarter than anybody else. No one will be better looking than anybody else. And no one will be stronger or quicker than anybody else. Uh, this is a fictional story in which he imagines the 211th, 212th, and 213th Amendment to the Constitution and the unceasing vigilance of agents of the United States Handicapper General, um, in which lots of people, you know, the, the uh, less talented, the talented ballerinas have to operate with weights so that they're operating equally to the people who have weights and stuff like that. Um, I don't think this will come to pass. I think this will get, one of two things will happen. Either this will generate an enormous amount of outrage and a whole bunch of state legislators and state education officials will panic and, and oh my God, we can't do this, you know, and recognize that it would effectively destroy one of the things that makes Virginia what it is. Uh, or alternately, like it will happen and a whole bunch of people will move away because it will, you know, the, the state will have, you know, killed, killed the goose, laid the golden egg and destroyed what makes People want to live here, particularly in my neck of the woods in Fairfax County. Lots of people move here because they, they like to think of themselves if, as one of the best, if not the best, uh, public school district in America. And it's not too different in Alexandria and Arlington and really all across the state. One of the things that kind of jumps in my to my mind, we've seen this debate in education probably, I guess, for like the last decade or so. And school budgets, there's never enough money to go around. There's always this sense of how do we help kids? How do we, you know, what do we do about the kids who are falling behind? What do we do about the kids who are uh, really in trouble? And across the country, there's just been this slow, gradual chipping away at programs for kids who are advanced, programs for kids who are gifted, talent, excessively, you know, very talented, et cetera. Now, I am blessed with two kids who are pretty darn smart, although one of them's home today. So I just want to say, don't get cocky, kid. You know, but they're doing really well, right? So if you want to say, oh, Jim, is it, you know, really up in arms about this because it would affect his kids? Well, yeah, yeah, it's one of the reasons I am. But I'll just kind of recognize. It's interesting to see how much gifted, talented, special, advanced, smart kids, however, whatever label you want to use, how easy it is to say, well, they're, they're smart kids, so they'll be fine. They don't need any extra help. They don't need any extra programs. They don't need anything to help them blossom to their fullest potential. They'll be fine. Let's spend more effort on the kids who are really in trouble. Now, I'm not quite going to go all the way back to my cynical joke, Greg, of uh, disagreeing with George W. Bush and believing that we should leave some kids behind. Um, that you know, but, but this, let's feel the recognition that different kids are going to have different needs. Um, and the idea that, well, the kids who are smart, they'll find we don't need to give them anything extra. Programs that help them are a waste or somehow inherently unjust. Look, smart kids get bored, right? I think, you know, chances are, there's a good chance that a good chunk of the listenership of, of this podcast, we're pretty bright listeners, I'm willing to bet that there are probably kids who were, um, who were bored in school. And it was not because they were dumb. It was not because they weren't necessarily interested in the subject matter. It's that the pace of education was at the pace of the slowest kid in the class. 
That's what, you know, because no one wanted anyone to fall behind. Well, okay, that's great. But that problem is that some kids are really bright. They're going to read ahead. They're going to be able to understand more advanced concepts than their peers. And the idea of trying to force them into this one size fits all approach is just guaranteeing uh, that a whole bunch of kids who really could turn into exceptional human beings will be held back. Does this you know, mean they can never flourish the way they should? No, no. It just is like, God, why would we deliberately do this? Why would we decide that we want bright kids to be bored, that we want bright kids to not have the ability to achieve their stuff and to do college level work in school, for example, advanced placement programs, um, you know, just all the different ways. Like I remember asking a teacher this, what is like the greatest tragedy in the world? And they said, the greatest tragedy in the world is seeing a kid who has exceptional quality, uh, exceptional potential in them, and you don't have the time or the effort or the resources or the ability to bring it out. I, I can't believe there are any teachers who would actually agree to, the, to this kind of idea. Now, you know, does it mean don't take care of the kids who are uh, slower or, or falling behind? No, I'm not saying that at all. But I am recognizing that this idea that differences in academic achievement are somehow inherently unjust is ludicrous. And it's we can't ask students from all of us around the rest of the world, stop, you're doing too well. We in America can't keep up. St don't do so well on those tests, Japanese kids. Oh no, you European kids. No, no, we're getting to the point where we need a Harrison Bergeron type thing where we need buzzers going off in their heads so that they won't do as well in the standardized tests. Actually standardized testing is a whole other debate for another time, but nonetheless, just deeply frustrating, Greg. Really sticks in my craw. Um, and it, it's just a, I cannot help but wonder whether a resentment of achievement is a much more driving force in our politics and in our society uh, than anybody wants to admit. Like you said, though, Jim, in uh, Virginia, uh, we'll see if this actually happens. You know, the problem, of course, in Northern Virginia is that there aren't very many type A parents willing to speak out about uh, what... <laughs> what... <laughs> I, all right. Anecdote about Authenticity Woods. It's, it's a little, it's too good not to share. So like I said, both my kids are smart. They get it from their mother, right? Okay. Yes. Technically, if you want to, if you want to laugh, yes, I was in the gifted program in like fifth grade and you can always, you're, I can hear you all at once saying, really? What happened? Did you get dropped on your head or something? Anyway. Um, but so the first meeting for the advanced program for my older son, they're talking about with parents and they're trying to, you know, talking about here's how we can do it. Here's the evaluation test. And the first thing that the, the person running the program says that, look, this is not a program designed to get your kids into Harvard University. One parent raises their hand and says, okay, which room is the one where we're trying to get our kids into Harvard University? I should mind you, this was like third or fourth grade or something like that. It was really that ludicrous. So I, I have a feeling um, boy, you thought you thought Karens were bad. I don't know what the, the standard name is for the parent <laughs> of, of, you know, bright, gifted kids who has got them on their career path to the Supreme Court justice or president or, you know, um, Elon Musk or Fauci, whatever level of, of supreme achievement is there. That is like the demographic of Authenticity Woods. I am the weird, relaxed one by a lot and borderline irresponsible parent by the standards of this neighborhood. And uh, this is exactly the kind of proposal that would probably get them like breaking out the pitch pitchforks and torches and marching on the superintendent's office. All right. Well, let's talk about our other great sponsor today. That is uh, my pillow, and we're talking about my slippers, which are on my feet right now. They took two years to develop to ensure that they are the highest in quality and comfort. Uh, and right now, uh, with the promo code Martini at mypillow.com, our listeners can save forty percent. My slippers are durable. You can wear them all day, indoors, outdoors, wherever you like. They have beautiful leather suede and cozy faux fur linings. 
They come in moccasin or slip-on style, and they're available in a variety of colors. Plus, they have a 60-day money-back guarantee and a one-year limited warranty. It's also got a three-tier cushioning system, which I can highly endorse. It's got the MyPillow patented fill, a comfort memory foam, and a patented impact gel. Super, super soft. Love walking around the house in these slippers. And for a limited time, MyPillow offering 40% off the new My Slippers. Go to MyPillow.com and click on the radio listener's square. Uh, enter the promo code MARTINI or call 800-874-0104. While you're there, take advantage of the deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the Giza Dream bed sheets, the MyPillow mattress topper, and the MyPillow towel sets. But you can only save that 40% on the new My Slippers with the promo code MARTINI. Call 800-874-0104 or visit MyPillow.com today. All right, Jim, on to our crazy martini, and it's a follow-up of a crazy martini we had a couple of weeks ago. Bruce slash Caitlyn Jenner is officially running for governor of California. And based on the timing of this, I assume this is uh, on the premise that there will be a recall, but it's also kind of around the timing that even if there's not, uh, we're into the gubernatorial cycle for California. So uh, Jenner, with a pretty common statement uh, for people who are challenging incumbents, Californians want better and deserve better from their governor for too long. Career politicians have overpromised and underdelivered. Blah, blah, blah. We need a leader with vision and the resolve to see it through. Small businesses have been devastated because of the over-restrictive lockdown. That's getting a little more specific. An entire generation of children have lost a year of education, have been prevented from going back to school, participating in activities. Uh, Jenner goes on to say, this isn't the California we know. This is Gavin Newsom's California where he orders us to stay home. But uh, he goes out to dinner with his lobbyist friends. And so Axios uh, broke this story this morning, pointing out that... um, Jenner is uh, considered a fiscally conservative and socially liberal, which uh, would probably put me out of the support column anyway. But, uh, Jim, do we want the Kardashians this close to power or in power at this point? I mean, uh, this is a, a new reality show ready to ready to spin off here now that the other I think the other Kardashian show finally ended. But uh, what do you make of the, uh, the circus getting further down the road here in California? Uh, better than Newsom. I mean, a very low bar to clear, but, you know, I mean, I can also like, Greg, haven't we been hearing that Republicans need more women candidates? Oh, jeez. I mean, we, there you go. See, we can find them. I mean, you know, depending on how you define it. But yeah, so like, look, I mean, look, in a very strange way, I, okay, considering how the odds of electing an indisputably uh, conservative, accomplished Republican state lawmaker are so low and the odds are low because it's very hard to find a Republican lawmaker at any level in California state government. We got a couple of mayors, a handful of seats in the state legislature here and there, but just slim pickings. Um, In a state that is just phenomenally expensive to run in and that, you know, has has so many powerful democratic interest groups. There's a reasonable understanding of why Republicans, you know, just just didn't see many, you know, great prospects here. Running a celebrity, running a celebrity who is extremely comfortable with the national spotlight in all conceivable way. Like, why not? Give it a shot. Let's see what happens. There'll be a, I assume there'll be a primary, you know, let's Jenner has as much uh, right to run as anyone else. And maybe that's what it'll take. And as you know, given a choice, like you and I have talked about our, our beefs with uh, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, who would probably call us girly men in response for that. 
Um, you know, Schwarzenegger was not the great conservative reformer to California the state really needed. Um, ran into just a brick wall of opposition from the Democrats in the state legislature and really couldn't do that much and kind of became a kindler and gentler version of Schwarzenegger in the, uh, uh, in the, in the later years and really couldn't do much to help the state in its fiscal issues. Um, but I'd take that over your standard issue Democrat that is just a, you know, automaton controlled by the Democratic special interest groups. So uh, National Review has a whole issue looking at the problems of California on, on newsstands right now. So like if you know, Caitlyn Jenner is the, the best option to, to, you know, pull the state out of its nosedive and, and get it back in a, in a better direction, let's go. Let's go for it. All right. You know, let's, you know, and here's the thing. If it does turn in, she ends, if, if Jenner ends up being, you know, the top of the, the, the field and all the other Democrats are well behind her, will they really all be trying to catch up with the Kardashians? This is just insanity on stilts. But I think the thing to keep in mind here, if this is uh, preparing for a recall election, is, of course, you've got the parallel race of should we recall Gavin Newsom? And then if the answer to that is yes, then you've got this other race going on at the same time and the top vote getter becomes governor. That's how Gray Davis got out. Arnold Schwarzenegger got in. And so by getting in early, uh, Jenner is uh, laying down the marker because if you have too many people running as a Republican in this race, you're going to dilute the replacement vote. And so uh, it's you're going to get to a point where you, where you oversaturate the market uh, as far as possible options. And then even if uh, Newsom were to get recalled, if there's only one or two prominent Democrats in the race, then the Democrats probably keep the seat anyway. So there's a lot of different things to keep in mind here. Yeah. I, one last thought and an odd one to end the week on, but I just going to observe like, so earlier in the week, we talked about uh, Chris Christie contemplating running for president in yes. 2024. And you know, for the last two or three cycles, I've just been really infuriated with the number of people who really have no chance of being president of the United States, don't have the name ID, don't have a serious uh, network of fundraising, don't have accomplishments, don't have an argument. Um, maybe they're better than Ted Kennedy in that infamous interview where he couldn't articulate why he should be the next president of the United States. But this is their kind of, my sneaking suspicion is that they're running for a book deal, they're running for a TV gig, they're running to be a celebrity. And my attitude is like, these are globs of cholesterol in the arteries of American democracy. This is clogging up the system with people who aren't really serious options and should not jump in. If you are a little known Republican uh, state lawmaker or mayor or city councilman or something like that, I, I just ask you to think long and hard before you run for governor of California, because it's arguably one of the toughest races to win in the entire state, not just because of the partisan divide, but because it's the most expensive state. You got to run a lot of TV ads to have a serious shot. And Cal Los Angeles and San Francisco and San Diego, those are not cheap TV markets. And yeah, you can, you know, and it's, you know, there's this bunch of Republican votes in Central Valley and you have a shot at it here and there, but like, Look, being a celebrity and having enormous name recognition is a giant advantage. We can argue about whether that should be the case or whether that's good or whether it's bad. In fact, I think it's, I'm pretty clear saying it's bad, but it is a still, it's a fact of life. And you can't simply say, well, I don't like that fact of life. Therefore, I'm going to ignore it and expect it to not be a factor. I think conservatism requires a little bit, of, I don't even know conservative, a certain amount of realism, a certain amount of recognition. If you are an obscure mayor, you're not going to be the next governor of California. Sorry, I wish that was the case, but it's not. You might genuinely be the best candidate, 
But I don't think, you know, there's a whole bunch of other statewide offices down ballot that nobody pays attention to. You ever thought about thinking of running for that? Or how about for your local state? How about becoming minority leader in one of the two uh, uh, state legislative chambers? That could, be, that could be a nice stepping stone, but you generally can't jump from being a nobody to being the governor of the most populous and, you know, uh, argue, you know, one of the largest economies in the world. And I just wish everybody, like there's this entire attitude of, of a whole bunch of candidates if you can believe it, you can achieve it. And I'm here to tell you, no, you can't. And no one likes it when I tell you. <laughs> everybody everybody wants to believe. No, you can't. Maybe this is my inner New York Jet fan coming out. But this is just a recognition <laughs> that I am tired of no, no, no hope, no chance, you know, delusion. You know, and if you, before you say, Jim, you're being unreasonable, I have covered Jim Gilmore's presidential campaign. And I've seen Jim Gilmore after getting 11 votes in Iowa. I don't mean 11%. I don't mean 11% you know, precincts. I mean 11 votes in Iowa. Look into a television camera and say, I am going to win the New Hampshire presidential primary. Shocker, he didn't, right? At some point, these people need an intervention. So that is my message to Republicans who want to run. I think Caitlin, whether or not we think Caitlyn Jenner should clear the field, I think this probably is going to have that kind of impact. And anybody who doesn't want to, anybody who wants to challenge Jenner has to have a plan for overcoming the enormous name uh, recognition advantage. All right, Jim, the weekend is here. Not a moment too soon. Enjoy it. I'll see you on Monday. See you Monday, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus, Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Please subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast. We love your very kind comments and your five-star ratings. Those are very helpful to us. Also remember to get us on those home devices. Just say, play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He is at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great weekend and please join us on Monday for the next Three Martini Lunch. Hi, this is Sarah Carter. On the latest Sarah Carter Show, Vernon Jones joins me to discuss why he got fed up and left the Democratic Party to run for governor of Georgia and why he believes the left is afraid to let black Americans think for themselves. I'll also have the latest on the Biden border crisis and how the administration is trying to hide the truth from you. Don't miss it. Subscribe to the Sarah Carter Show at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.